Hey, Rick, I think I'm here. Good afternoon, and welcome back to Rick Bones' podcast on the apocalypse and metamorphosis. Today's guest is Andrew Bosenecker. Andy, how are you? Good. How are you today, Rick? I'm excellent. Thank you for asking. At least based on what's going on all around us. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, which is, you know, a large part of the topic I like to discuss. Um, but before that, can I can we get a little bit of your personal background? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, I've got a fairly diverse background, and this is an interesting topic and probably a timely one as well. Um, I'm Lutheran clergy, so um, I'm ordained in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which is um, commonly known as sort of the more liberal strand of Lutheran theology. And um, I'm also active and engaged in our community in a number of advocacy and service efforts. And um, as of very recently, I'm a candidate for House District 53 state representative there. So um, we're which I'm, which I'm very excited about. Before well, we you come. Yeah. So we're in a few different hats and uh, always try to keep those in mind when we're discussing stuff like this. And I, that's, I appreciate it. And that's how you popped in as the middleman of the uh, theological world, political world. <laughs> and actually, I've also talked to a lot of educators and, you know, you've, you've certainly helped there as well. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, so we'll jump in with the first Great. question and it's, have you ever witnessed or been part of an event that seemed apocalyptic? And I know that sounds stupid right now in this time frame we're speaking in. But beyond that, there's many other things. They can also be significantly smaller scale, whether it's just an individual, you watch an individual find something like that, or a smaller community where it seemed like they were coming to an end. Yeah. Well, I think I would say yes, but I think it's a um yeah, I, you actually um, made me go back to um, my Greek notes a bit, um, <laughs> which is always unfortunate, but helpful. And, and I think, you know, so looking at this through the lens of a theological lens, at least, and how we understand that word, I think that word apocalypse is really loaded, right? Um, okay, yes. In that it's been, I, I would even say co-opted by the religious right and more, more specifically the left behind movement inside of that to give us some sort of very... Um, hard to shake imagery when it comes to the word apocalypse and or apocalyptic. And um, in the Greek, um, the word is apocalypsis, and it just simply means revelation. And uh, in, in large part, um, how I understand that term, and I think how a lot of folks inside of the theological circles, uh, at least the more liberal ones, understand that term, is just sort of the unveiling uh, or unveiling um, or revealing of something that might have been hidden previously. That makes a lot of sense. In my class, what I've more developed, this is a personal take, I've seen it just as a, almost just a benchmark for change. Yeah. Not, I don't see it as an end. Like, like you said, it's loaded now. And prior to really discussing it, I didn't put that much thought into it. Um, but after a semester of a class, change is really what I see it as. And Revelation fits right into that. You're, you're seeing what is happening for the first time. And that can be horrifying or it can be something you embrace. Totally. Now, totally. There's obviously certain situations where you're never going to embrace them, but there's still changes that you're going to have to deal with. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree completely. You know, that change piece is a huge part of it. Um, and then I think in large part where I would say that I've witnessed an event or events that seem apocalyptic in nature, you know, so in the biblical canon, you've got two examples of apocalyptic literature. You've got the book of Daniel, which is in the Hebrew Bible. And then you've got the book of Revelation, which is the one people seem to go to as if it were some sort of roadmap for how everything's going to go wrong, um, which is yeah. not helpful, right? Um, as a, as a child of catholic grade schools yes <laughs> yeah so i mean it's a genre right it's a liter literary genre as well but inside of those you typically have somebody who's serving as sort of like the voice or the prophet or the medium or the person who is sort of like standing on side on high and saying like the world as you see it is not the world as it is and, and then they offer an alternative version of reality or perhaps a grounding for a community or a person so in that sense like i'm a, i'm very comfortable saying that i have seen a events that have seen apocalyptic in nature, um, both from like a recovery standpoint, um, counseling folks in my congregation as they're in the throes of addiction and una mm -hmm. unable to see um, another world out there because the only framework they have for understanding their world is through that of addiction. And, um, or even I think more broadly, like um, the contemporary landscape, I think um, in the United States, where I think uh, folks like myself, um, cisgender, um, heterosexual, white males, um, have really been rightly called to task um, by other communities, um, underrepresented communities, the BIPOC community, into seeing that perhaps the way that I see the world or the world that I grew up in is not a shared reality across different uh, identities. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Well, we're in the we're in the similar vein, you know, demographically speaking. And yes, stepping back instead of stepping forward is because I'm trying to stay engaged, but not, but listening to what other people, you know, how they're addressing it. I used to grab my opinion and run forward with it, which I still do sometimes. But I'm really, especially in the past year, come more of the, well, what do you need from me? Yeah. kind of person yeah and uh so you know i haven't been the leader of any marches but i've been to several i haven't started a petition but i've signed many um that being said i will still go out and knock doors for elections once this pandemic has passed us um and stay active that way yeah of course yeah but uh that's just i i 100 agree with what you're saying and it's funny you're the i spoke with vanessa fuel yesterday oh, and yeah. she was um, addiction was a large part of our conversation mm -hmm. for obvious reasons and it's just you know that seems to be on a personal level where you see people in the revelation change apocalyptic part of their life so right because some things some things need to die inside of that right like yep. um and and there's no better way to say it you know and and really i mean like from a neurological standpoint, talk about new creation, like your brain, um, depending upon, you know, what your addiction centered around often, I mean, for that first year plus is really learning how to be a brain again and not relying upon mm -hmm. whatever substance it was. I mean, like that, in that sense, I'm very comfortable talking about like death and resurrection, you know, because I mean, scientifically you see it, right? Like the old way of being yes. in the world has to go away and the new person has to emerge from that. Um, and that is a painful and apocalyptic process for sure. <laughs> so, uh, and yet it, it seems to be the thing that makes people around you the most happy. Right, right, right. So, yeah. 
Uh, and it takes, but you know, in that same vein, it'll certainly take a while to get, you know, people's trust back and things like that. Not, not just your cognitive ability to sort of come back around your relationships need to be rebuilt. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a change that, you know, and some just have and that as well. Some need to pass on for lack of a better phrase. Totally. And, you know, I think whatever process folks have used for that, be it, you know, if they rely heavily on a faith community or if they rely on a 12 step community or if they use therapy or if they use a combination of all those different things, like mm -hmm. each person I think really needs to find sort of their center or that thing that sort of gives them um, purpose and hope and um, um, uh, ability to just get out of bed the next morning and make the same yes. decisions that they did the previous day. Um, and in that sense, like I, I sense a connection too to like um, kind of how historically black churches have functioned in America where um, to a certain extent you've got the world around you, but then you have a community that for a second hits pause on all of that um, on a Sunday morning for a few hours and is reminded of like hope and purpose and ultimately i think you know um, place in society that is well deserved you know and innate to every human being um you know so i think that center that core of purpose is really important in those apocalyptic events uh, to sort of ground a community or a person it's interesting i grew up like i said catholic and i you know we're at church every sunday you know fish on friday and every event at the church that they had, we all had to go to do all them, you know, lock-ins, things like uh -huh. that. And I thought that was a big part of my life. And then through politics, I worked in um, overwhelmingly black communities in Chicago and saw what, even those storefront churches, the impact they have on a daily level. Yeah. And it was just, it was mind blowing to me to see that that is a, such a lifeline as opposed to, you know, the big churches in the white suburbs where it's a nice thing we do and we all are proper and prim. It's such a dramatically different lifeline when you're in a place that has so little hope elsewhere. elsewhere. Absolutely. And I'm assuming that's similar to the blighted, you know, even white communities in the Midwest that are broken in the middle of Nebraska. I personally never seen that, but I'm assuming that's a similar thing there. You know if that is just curious. If you don't, you I, don't. I can't speak to um, okay. that as much in the um, in those communities. Um, I just you know I I know that um, we lived in Atlanta for a number of years, um, you know, and having participated in some of those worship services and having been graciously hosted by some of those communities for different events. It's different, like you're saying, right? It, it provides a very different yeah. sense of refuge and purpose inside of a larger society that is often um, very um, antagonistic and um, harmful to different identities. And never leave out the fact that the services are much more. Oh my fun. gosh, there's so much more fun. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's. Yeah. Which is incredible, right? That you've got this sense of like joy and in the, in the midst yes. of like suffering. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. yes. It, 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 I've never left one not going, oh, wow. Yeah. That was yeah. something. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. So, so the. We'll go sort of hit the third question I put out to you that I think is more is really applicable to the pandemic and climate change. The two things that seem to be weighing in the back of everyone's head. How are you counseling people these days, even if it's just friends and family, about just how to move forward or something? I mean, 
there's a light at the end of the tunnel with this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but climate change, I, I don't see a light currently. I see hope, but I don't see a true answer coming around the corner. How do you address that? Even personally, you know, or, or with your kids, your wife, or a friend who seems to be overwhelmed. Yeah. By. I, I think there's two different levels of response. Um, so on a, on a personal level, and then with folks inside of my um, community of faith, um, there's oftentimes things you, you can't fix as much as you want to, right? Like um, mm -hmm. the, um, you know, impacts of being isolated and lonely and um, feeling hopeless in the midst of the pandemic, I think has hit everybody in some sense, um, but certainly some people more than others. I mean, I share a house with four other people, so um, for better or worse, I'm never alone. Um, <laughs> but there's, that's not everybody's story. Um, you know, so, so I think all you can do in that sense is really just reach out, try to connect, be there for people. Um, you know, I go on walks with folks outside um, because that's a safe place to do it. And even if we don't discuss anything yeah. that's going on, you know, just to know that somebody yeah. else actually cares, I think is important right now. Um, and then on the larger scale, you know, these issues, um, climate change, um, you know, I think, um, w where I come to those things is some of them seem so insurmountable to fix, right? Like, how am I going to fix climate yeah. change? Well, I mean, I don't know oil and gas has a bigger budget than I do to, to fight that, um, unfortunately, yeah. but, um, <laughs> And yeah. always will, but yeah, I try to no, do I'm... my part, right? I try to like, I, I've always yeah. felt like, you know, if each of us does a little, then it'll end up being a lot. And, um, and I, I do really still feel like the combined efforts of even just a few people really does matter. Um, so I try to move the ball down the field a little bit, you know, and then I do it, move the pieces I can. It's kind of like a chess game sometimes, you know, I'm stuck here, but I can move here. I'm stuck here, but I can move here, you know, and just try to find those opportunities to advocate um, on issues where I shouldn't be the lead, especially around issues of diversity and inclusion. I try to listen and support right. um, and use yep. my resources appropriately that perhaps other people don't have, or even my place at the table or my voice, you know, to offer that up for somebody else. Um, but I, I think really where I'm at with those things is that um, it being too big is not an excuse not to do anything. We just have to find, the, find a way to be able to kick the ball a little bit down the field in hopes that someone else is going to see what we're doing and pick it up as well. You know, but hope that yeah. momentum grows. Yeah. Great, great. Well, we're almost out of time, and I wanted to give you a chance if you'd like to go ahead and give me what's going to be your three main talking points for lack of a better phrase in your campaign, not talking points, but what, yeah. you know, the three things you really are going to focus on. In well, thanks. Yeah. I think um, I would add a fourth to it right now, just because everything seems okay. to um, center around rightly. So COVID-19 recovery and resiliency. And so yes. um, first priority is going to be allocating any state and federal resources for individuals and families. And uh, of course, small businesses, which really are the lifeblood of our com economic communities um, to make sure that those folks have whatever we can give them in terms of resources and support. Um, you saw that this last um, extraordinary session. I think that's the right tone. Uh, unfortunately, Colorado's fiscal picture is somewhat baked. Um, and so there's yep. a limited amount of resources and we really need some leadership from our federal government to be able to provide the relief that I think Colorado and many other states need. Um, so um, that's the first priority. And then um, clean air and water on um, the environment, as you mentioned, remains a huge priority for us. Air quality, we're still out of attainment here in Northern Colorado and Fort Collins um, due to some choices that are not our own, 
but impact us nonetheless. Um, protecting the Poudre and the Big Thompson River is our key priorities. Um, and then public education. I'm a former um, music teacher in a Title I school. Uh, and so I've seen uh, firsthand and experienced inside my classroom the impacts of underfunding our students and educators, and uh, certainly um, know that that is a big part of the fiscal puzzle in front of Colorado, but I favor restoring education levels to the pre-2010 level, which is when you really saw um, the state legislators start to take some creative liberties with funding. And then, of course, last but not least, uh, improve Medicare for all. I think um, COVID-19 has highlighted the impacts of um, health insurance gaps in our system, not to mention uh, folks who are dealing with unemployment now can't afford assurance either. So yes, yeah, those are the things that I'm really passionate about. I'm going to be focusing on. There are no shortage of issues in front of us, but uh, I'm, you know, no. those are the ones that yeah, you can, you have to stay. Yeah, you have to stand yeah. strong on a few, yeah. or you'll fall apart trying That's to get right. them all done. I appreciate your time. I look forward to you in Denver working on education with Representative Kip. That'll be an yeah. amazing team. And uh, once again, thank you for your time. Good luck in your election. Well, thank you, Rick. I know it's ways yeah. off. Um, and once again, I will help. Whenever Rick, you thanks need so me. much. Thank you, you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Take Have care. a great day. Bye-bye.